Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, grace and peace to you. Well, good morning. Great to be back with you. Your pastor at large. (laughs) Didn't you like the way uh, Pastor Greg set me up for this? I was at large last week out in California, and thank you very much. It was great. And Pastor Greg is down in Memphis himself this weekend doing a wedding of a young couple that he's had tremendous influence with in his ministry down there. So that's where he is right now. But here we are together, a variety of people from all kinds of uh, shades and colors of background. But Jesus is present. And it's Jesus we want to have speak to us. So let's bow our heads and uh, close our eyes and talk to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Walk amongst us now and meet with us one by one. Thank you for that day you walked out of the grave alive with that same powerful potential to walk into our lives and bring us life. So take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, let me make a proposition to you. It's based on observation and a whole lot of uh, interaction with people across the years. It's this, that we need to belong somewhere. All humanity, person by person, needs a place to belong, needs a place to call home, needs a people, an association, whether it's a club or a family or a friendship or a church, but to have a relationship in which they are appreciated and share a mutual appreciation to belong. Back, uh, Back in the Simon and Garfunkel days, Not that they've gone away and died, but uh, back when they were young and potently present in the culture, and the movie The Graduate came out and their songs were all over it. One of their songs was this, I have no need of friendship. It was called I am a rock, I am an island. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. And I have my books and my poetry to comfort me. They were lying. 
To say you have no need of friendship, that you are a rock, you are an island, that you're satisfied with books and poetry. I suppose if they turned it into song today, it would be my iPhone, my iPad. I mean, it's amazing how everywhere you go, you've got families sitting at a table in a restaurant looking at their smartphone, whether they're texting or whatever else they're doing. It's like their place to hide. But we need more than that kind of, I guess it's about a facile kind of communication, relationship, that doesn't really engage us person to person. So suicide rates are soaring among young adolescents who've got the shape and sound of a relationship with a screen in front of them. We need people to people. In fact, there was another song years ago, people who need people are the luckiest people in the, in the world. Well, that's us. We need, in our own personality, our own soul, something amounting to a relationship with someone else so that we have a sense of belonging. Well, I paint that as a scenario as we come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, speaking about unity in the family of God, in the church. Now, I should tell you this, that wherever my wife and I travel, they'll ask, especially my wife, what's the church like you belong to? And she will say, I'll tell you two things. They love the Lord, and they love each other. And I love the way she describes that, and it really just describes what I perceive as our church. We're not just into turning up, sitting in rows, singing songs, listening to songs sung, hearing somebody preach and teach, and disappearing. The need to belong and thereby to get committed to one another. So let me take you to these words in chapter 4. And they are against the background of what Pastor Craig taught last week, that Jesus is the centerpiece who's broken down the wall abolished, done away with, in his dying on the cross, the dividing walls of hostility. Now that's what he's achieved. And what Paul is reasoning with the people at Ephesus about is that they're willing to relate to each other across their cultural and racial barriers. Ephesus was a major center. If you've ever been there or seen pictures of it, it's an amazing, very historic, ancient site. Even the library that uh, has not just a monument, but the old ruins of what the library was, is magnificent. So it's a multicultural center. Jews and non-Jews, Paul himself a Jew. And he's sharing the fact that Christ in dying on the cross 
makes it possible for us to relate to each other, transcending those boundaries, and as described here, abolishing, getting rid of those dividing walls of hostility. Well, how amazing that this week we are celebrating Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, a national holiday. And later in the week, we're going to be marching, walking through Washington, D.C. In, in a protest of Roe versus Wade. And we still have a couple of spots on the bus. And Kathy and I, my wife and I will be going, as will Pastor Barry and others. But come and join us, sign up, and be with tens of thousands, mostly young people, pro-life, protesting that pro-death Roe versus Wade decision of the Supreme Court. Christ makes it possible for those dividing walls of Roe, whether it's racism on the one hand or the kind of political battle that there is around the pro-choice versus pro-life elements in our culture. Jesus is present, the same Lord who died on the cross to pay the price for all the wickedness that there is, I tell you this, I cannot even begin to conceive or understand how somebody who says they are Christian, that is, who love Jesus and have asked him to come into their lives, can carry with them any kind of racial discrimination, that attitude that says because people are racially different, you despise them for whatever reason. That mystifies me, that you can know Jesus and carry those attitudes. Similarly, it amazes me that anybody who says they know Jesus can go into the voting booth and elect somebody to office and leadership in this country who they know is pro-choice, which is to be pro-death. That's a mystery to me. We need to live our values and vote our values and pray our values. And for all of you who've been through, all of you, there'd be any number of you who've had an abortion or participated one way or another with somebody in your family or fr among your friends. We're also pro-grace. That is the same Jesus who rescues us from our own sin, whatever that sin is, and forgives us and renews us, can come into the dynamic of those issues I've just described and bring healing and reconciliation. So bear that in mind that when we're talking about Jesus, we are talking about the one who is the centerpiece of that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made of those dissenting, opposing groups a possibility of destroying the barrier and that dividing wall of hostility. These are strong words right out of the Bible. By abolishing in his death on the cross, all those opposing factors. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humankind out of those opposing forces, thus making peace. That's the bond. So coming back to chapter 4, which David read so well for us. Paul writes this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. One translation, the old King James Version, doesn't just say, I urge you, it says, I beg you. This is the Bible appealing to us with the, with the passion of Paul, who's the author here, urging us, beseeching us, begging us to live up to the calling we have received when we gave our lives over to Jesus. That's a passionate plea. This isn't just about some theological, relational transaction. It's Paul who is in a prison for his faith, defining himself as a prisoner for the Lord, pleading with us and begging us to live up to our calling. And he gives us the pathway to that. Listen to these words. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. To be completely humble and gentle. Those are soft words, but they are powerful statements. You know, the Bible does say that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God is after our humility not our arrogance and independence. So he calls on us via these words from the word of God to be humble and gentle and to be watching out for one another, to be peacemakers in effect, bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Again, Jesus is the centerpiece of this. It's only through him that what we're talking about here is even possible. Because all our human habits, out of our growing up, our education, the company we've kept, the way people think and talk, are very influential. And there needs to be a greater influence, and that influence is Jesus himself who can make us new, renew us. And he is alive and present here, and that's his great desire. So he urges us and encourages us. Along the way, he makes it possible also, and here we come to the, the inner workings of ourselves as a church, as a fellowship and family, because we're coming from a lot of different places even to make up a company like this. And he speaks about unity not being uniformity. In other words, it's not that we like all the same music, wear all the same clothes, do all the same sort of cultural things that make us one. 
but there is a unity which allows for our being one in Jesus, but with a whole variety of other interests and characteristics, giftedness, personal traits that he uses. So listen to these words. This is verse 7, Ephesians chapter 4. Each, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So later it goes on to say this, describing what I've just read. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, the original evangelists, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Many of you will know the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was, as he has been called, the Prince of Preachers. But back in the uh, 1800s, the Victorian era in England, he was maybe the first mega church in the world. Thousands came to hear him preach in London. When he died, London was shut down for about, I think, a minute or two or three as they walked him through the streets in his coffin. An immense figure. Well, this is what he has to say about this passage. He says, let us cultivate everything that would tend to unity. Are any sick? Let us care for them. Are any suffering? Let us weep with them. Do we perceive faults in a brother? Let us admonish him in love and affection. Let us remember that we cannot keep the unity of the Spirit unless we also believe the truth of God. So let us search our Bibles and conform our views to the teaching of God's Word. Let us live near to Christ. For this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love for the Savior. Cold hearts, unholy lives, inconsistent actions. These are the seeds which sow schisms in the body. But he who lives near to Jesus wears his likeness and copies his example, and will be wherever he or she goes, a holy link to bind the church more closely than ever together. The very idea of that is so different than the world out there where people are looking for the mortar in your wall to scrape it out, to find your flat sides and your faults, it's a very dangerous world out there to the gentle soul. Here's Jesus encouraging us to be gentle. Not pushovers, but gentle in our disposition. Looking to build a family. 
of friends and neighbours. I mentioned Pastor Craig going down to Memphis to do a wedding. We're not into just running through ceremonies, saying words that get us through a legalizing process of what we call marriage. Similarly, we're advertising for baptism, not just to go through saying words that are like a ceremony. The same would be true of funerals. Whenever we're doing them, our concern is to be real, to talk about a real Jesus, a real hope, a real connection to that world beyond this immediate one. In fact, I did a wedding just yesterday and I was speaking to the mother of the bridegroom. I didn't know the mother. They weren't part of our church. But that mother and I were talking and she was going on about how great the wedding was and it was great. And I said, you know, it was real. And she pushed me like this in the chest and said, you're real. <laughs> I took that as a massive compliment. You know, and I expressed that in this pulpit, that us clergy fight for authenticity to be the real deal. It's so easy for us to be mistaken for some kind of religious clown. They're ridiculed in England. When I got serious about the Lord and became a pastor, at least I was in theological college training to be a pastor, my mother wrote to a brother in Australia and said to him that I was going into the ordained ministry of the Church of England. To which his response was to my mother, I thought John had more ambition than that. Because that's the image you have. It's a kind of weak-wristed put-down of the pastorate. It's not dissimilar on television here most of the time, made to look like idiots. And it's very difficult to get beyond the accoutrements of worship. That's what's so great about a service like this. This is not playing church. And the musicians that we have up here, who all love the Lord, we haven't brought in some outsider who just happens to be a good drummer. These guys love Jesus, and they're given their music, their talent to the Lord. And it's spectacular what they're doing up here. Every week is Broadway. Spectacular. They bring their gifts to him. And the kind of diversity of talent is present amongst all of you. God distributes gifts amongst us. And in some area or another, you are a 10. Brilliant at it. Your disposition goes with it. You like to deal with it, express it whether it's hospitality, whether you really have a tender heart and pray for people, whether you're joyful and exuberant that you become a part of the welcoming and greeting, and you sort of, wherever you are, you create community. Some of you are detail-oriented to the point of be being like control freaks. And they're very difficult to live with. I've done a lot of counseling amongst husbands and wives where one of them is a control freak and it's like all possessing 
Well, we need people who do pay attention to detail in a graded organization. And they're all at work in this church, whether it's the, the bulletin you receive, all done by volunteer help, putting it together, distributing it. It goes on and on and on. God has gifted you. Have you discovered what that gift is? Are you ready to put it to work for him? Because you, every one of you, is a 10 at something. It could never happen that when you come to faith and the father and the son are chatting with each other about you and they're in glory and they look at you and the father says to the son, you died for this one. I haven't a clue what to do with him. You died for him, what shall we do? And Jesus turns to the father and said, I haven't a clue either actually. Let's talk to the Holy Spirit. That could never happen. God gives us gifts when he comes into our lives and dispositions and attitudes and opportunities to do something great for him. What is it you are doing for him? Because that's what builds us all up into a family where we can all become the best we can be. Let me read those words to you again concerning how God has given all these gifts and what they are for. He said they're given to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's the family, that's the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We don't want to be forever adolescent kids in the faith. To become real men and women of faith. Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the deal. And that's what God is looking for. That's why Jesus went to the great expense of laying down his life for us. And then through all our ups and downs of our lives, pursuing us and giving the opportunity for us to get real with him so that we can have that kind of fellowship. We have home groups and small groups, and they are very important to you getting to know people, and they're getting to know you. Getting involved, whether it's in the men's ministry, the women's ministry, our student ministry, our youth ministry, it goes on and on. For those of you who are retired or semi-retired, we have a workers' crew here on Tuesdays does stuff around the property. We've got every opportunity, mostly women, I think it's all women, who take care of our worship, preparing everything for worship, especially when we have communion, or preparing and setting up for weddings and baptisms and funerals. You could get involved in that, in preparing all the preparation, part of the life of the family. Well, let's talk to the Lord about it right now, shall we? Bow your heads again and close your eyes and see the Lord Jesus coming to where you are. This is your moment to get real with him, for him to get real with you. So, Lord Jesus, as you draw near to us with the promise of never leaving us, abandoning us, help us, Lord, to take opportunity right now, this opportunity, to talk to you and to tell you we need you, that we need a place to really belong and know we are loved and to be able to love. 
Forgive us, Lord, for all the distractions that we allow to fill our lives, living in our own little private cubicles. You've got big plans for us. Grant to us, Lord, to discover you in that light. Be willing to surrender to you, to humble ourselves to you and give you that shot at working in us. We pray this for your namesake, Lord Jesus. Amen.